Well, I'm really excited for this episode this week, Jerry. Um, this is our first episode that we'll be doing that was totally a result of a suggestion that one of our listeners made on our Facebook page. You know, and that's a good reminder to our to our listeners: make suggestions. We're listening, and we want to we want to address the needs of the community. So, if there's something out there that we haven't talked about, you'd like to like us to investigate, or even investigate with you. Um, give us a give us a shout. Yeah, exactly. Like for example, you know, some of the episodes that we do, we we're going to record because we're passionate about, or we know a a unique story that needs to be told. But um. Jim Jacobson, who teaches at Hastings High School, sent us a note and said, you know, everyone right now is talking about um, not having enough instruments in the fall. Would you be willing to talk about this on your your podcast? Because, you know, a lot of places, students have to share instruments, those big instruments that cost a lot or are hard to transport. um, Two students might play the same tuba or the French horn or even more than two students. And... um, it got us thinking that we could talk a little bit about how to find money to purchase new instruments or how to solicit donations from your community. And while this came about as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, these are really important lessons that all band directors should be aware of so that they know about how to do an instrument donation drive or how to talk about capital outlay funds with their administrators. Well, and that got us thinking, you know, who could, who should we get to talk about this? And of course, District 196, Rosemount, Apple Valley, Egan School District, uh, has a program called Band for All. So you and I, we had to find out how that worked and who, who was doing that. And I had no idea that they've had over 1,300 instruments donated over the course of the past uh, 10 years or so to that program, which is just amazing when you think about the number of students that are playing in band that might not otherwise have had access to an instrument. Yeah, um, and not only for beginners, but for high school students, some more advanced instruments they've, they've managed to collect. All um, the way through, that's yeah. That's remarkable. Yeah. yeah, and then we also reached out to Pete Ginther down in Owatonna, and he is really, really great at connecting with community organizations and foundations, and also knowing how to go to his administrators and say, hey, we need some help uh, because this instrument just can't be repaired anymore, or we've got this 10-year plan. Um, so between the work that they're doing in District 196 and the great advice of Pete down in Owatonna, we've got a great episode this week for our listeners. Yeah, we do. And I'm really looking forward to getting to it. So with that, let's move on to the show. All right, let's do it. Hi, Band of Minnesota listeners. Welcome to the podcast that works to address the hottest topics on the minds of Minnesota band directors. My name is Jerry Lucar. And I'm Brad Mariska. And we will be joined by friends and colleagues from around Minnesota. This week on Band in Minnesota, we're focused on an important practical matter for band directors and arts administrators, a lack of instrument inventory to ensure that every child has access to instrumental music is not a new problem. With limited budgets and sharing instruments has been a long needed practice for many instrumental programs, especially larger instruments like tubas and berry saxophones. With COVID-19, instrument sharing is no longer a safe practice without considerable protocols. 
This podcast will address the challenges of instrumental sharing and possibly some short-term and long-term solutions. Brad, why don't you introduce our guest today? Yeah, you bet. Thanks, Jerry. Um, first of all, we'd like to welcome Michelle Hoff, who is a band director in the Rosemount Apple Valley Egan School District. Hi, Michelle. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. We also have Pete Ginther with us, who is a band director at Owatonna High School in Owatonna. Welcome, Pete. Thank you very much, Brad and Jerry. Thanks for having me. You bet. Um, Michelle, I, I, I'd love to learn a little bit more about the program that you have in District 196. It's called Band for All. And for our listeners who aren't familiar, it's basically um, an instrument donation program that is utilized throughout uh, your entire community. And can you talk a little bit more about the history of that and how you set it up and maybe how others could um, create a model uh, based on Band for All? Sure. Um, our program started in 2007, um, and I just finished my seventh year running the program. Um, it was started by Angela Wyatt, and it was mainly focused on one elementary school. So we started really small. We had noticed um, the our district population had been changing, and we had higher numbers of free or reduced lunch students. And we noticed more kids were not participating, and we felt the biggest way that we could help was by providing them an instrument. So we had a community donation drive and were able to get 50 donated instruments that first year. And that increased um, that band to 60 students and they had been down to like 30, 35. So it had gotten pretty small. So it doubled in size that year. And then we just kept soliciting donations from the community. So now, um, this many years later, we have had 1,349 instruments donated all from wow. the community. So that it's pretty amazing. amazing. That's really yeah. amazing. And in that time, we've helped 1935 students participate in band. So okay. it's, it's, so it it's works. a tremendous program. <laughs> yeah, that's terrific. That's terrific. Well, so this, this is quite the um, management uh, project here in terms of like uh, uh, just inventory of, of your instruments. Um, now, obviously, if somebody is starting out or wants to create their own model, they're not going to have to worry about getting 1,300 instruments all at once. But um, can you talk just a little bit about some of those first steps or, you know, if somebody wants to donate an instrument, how they do that or how, how do you even reach the community in the first place? Well, it's a lot of scotch tape and band-aids. I think of it as that way. So the first advice I have is use a database. Don't use a spreadsheet to keep track of your instruments. I know there's plenty of programs who use charms and, and things like that. But certainly with our finances for Band for All, we're a donation program. So occasionally I'll get donations. Um, the District Foundation has helped support us the last few years by providing a yearly donation that ranges anywhere from two to 5000 but the rest of our program is supported only by a one-time $20 maintenance fee that's paid by the student when they check it out. So with repairs, the average repair costs around $66. So over time, these instruments we get donated have already been well used. Some are 50, 60 years old. I had a flute that was donated that was 100 years old. So certainly those woodwinds especially need lots of repair. Um, so being able to have an inventory management system that's going to track not only the condition of the instrument, but follow it along with the student is important. So I uh, developed FileMaker Pro, a FileMaker Pro program, and that's primarily what I use. And 
it really helps as far as tracking students and keeping track of condition of instruments and connecting all of that together with a database, which is something that you can't necessarily do with a spreadsheet. Um, so being able to track and sort all of those instruments is, is a pretty important step in the process. So how many buildings or schools throughout your district now uh, use instruments from the, the Band for All program? Are they at all levels or is it still primarily something for beginner band? Uh, who, who's benefiting? Well, we support all 29 schools in our district now. We expanded to include the whole district in 2011. And since then, our numbers have grown tremendously. So um, fortunately, our communities donated a lot of upper line instruments too. So we have a couple F attachment trombones and a bunch of open hole flutes and wood clarinets. So when kids get into high school and some Bach Stradivarius trumpets, believe it or not. Um, so those are great. And we've been able to start some amazing students. Um, when they get into high school, they can switch to an upper line instrument. And um, so we definitely are, the bulk of our students are at the elementary level. We get the most with the beginners. We usually, it's around 200, between two and 300, depending on the year beginners that we start. And then that number drops off a little bit in middle school and high school. High school is smaller. Do you, do you um, encourage families or students to eventually um, purchase their own instrument? Or is it, a, uh, it sounds like once they have one of these instruments, they can stay with the program all the way through if they need to? Yes, we provide them an instrument for as long as they're in band. Certainly, there's a lot of success stories of students who've loved it so much that they've eventually purchased their own instrument. And the parents understand by that point that, oh, my child is really going to stick with this. It's time for me to go ahead and invest in purchasing an instrument. And so then that instrument comes back and we can recheck it out. Have you, have you received instruments that are just not our subpar instruments? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of scary things that come in, certainly. Not everything is usable right away. Right. So those are delicate conversations sometimes because they're emotionally attached to those instruments, but maybe they're not usable. Right. And, and we keep everything. And occasionally I can, I can trade parts. So I have a lot of instruments that um, if a part wears out, I can pull it from something that's not currently usable. So that's everything still has value. You, you mentioned one thing I want to I wanna just go a little bit deeper on before I, we turn towards Pete. Um, uh, even when you get an instrument that's donated for free, there's still a lot of cost to maintaining or repairing that instrument. Um, the, there's the $20 uh, fee you mentioned, um, but does the school district provide the other monies or do you get outside sponsorships or donations just for the repair part of the program? Can you talk just a little bit about more of the finances? I don't get any support from the district. Occasionally, um, certain buildings will help support an instrument if it's damaged. You know, if a student had an accident or if something needs corks replaced, buildings will help out in that, those sorts of situations. Um, but it's only soliciting funds through different foundations the District Foundation, the Eastview Community Foundation has been supportive. And then I started writing letters to every foundation in Minnesota. And I did get some donations that way and we'll get community donations occasionally. Um, sometimes I'll get checks in the mail. Our district has a PR person and so he often contacts the papers. Um, and we have newspaper articles that help support us. And so then we'll usually get an influx of donations at that time. Let's talk a minute about ownership. 
once that instrument comes into inventory, does it belong to the school or does it belong to the student after the $20 deposit? It belongs to the district. And so that student has to return it once they're no longer in band. So they sign a contract for that. And um, it's my job to kind of keep track of them along the way because they often change schools quite a bit. Then that brings up another question. What about space to store instruments? Do you collect all those instruments over summer, repair them as you would school purchase instruments? Yes, um, donations come in throughout the school year. So I will send the family a donation letter who has ever donated that instrument. And most of our repair work gets done during the year. Um, we do some during the summer, but the bulk of it is during the school year. And those instruments are stored at Scott Highlands Middle School. We have a, a storage space there. Um, but most of the inventory is out with students. So right now I have 809 instruments that are already checked out. So I'm only probably storing around 400, I would say. And my space isn't a lot bigger. I could probably fit 100 things more in. But I certainly don't have enough storage space to store 1,300 instruments if they all came back. Right, because storage space is always a premium at any school or any facility. So I was just wondering how that worked. Thank you. Well, Peter, we've known each other for a long time, and you're a passionate man, a passionate musician and teacher. We see that in your rehearsals and concerts and anytime we're around you. But there's another side to you, and I know that you call it that, that administrative 80%, that other side. Um, how do you ensure that your program in Owatonna is set up for success when it comes to instruments and equipment? Well, I, I spend a lot of time um, analyzing the quality of the instruments I have, uh, much like um, Michelle does. And um, I, I can also say I'm, I'm big into rotation. So I, I encourage, like, uh, I recently worked, on, I've been working on a project geared towards younger music educators and college students. And when I, I, I made some, some videos about it, and when I was making them, I, I was really trying to encourage them to make sure that they look for that we look for um, instruments that need to be retired instrument that needs to be donated instruments that need to be um, so instruments that are successful in the program and running and then on top of it developing a rotation plan so you can have a a, a successful turnaround of those instruments because uh, it's inevitable I, I have pro, i have instruments in my program that are 50 years old and those those instruments need to uh, possibly see a, a different a different area and so I I feel like uh, we sometimes forget about that because we go we're going through the motions of our of our jobs and we're we're teaching and we're doing the nuts and bolts but then we, we all of a sudden realize like oh my gosh I have I have reached critical mass and I have I have all these old instruments and you, you need a plan at that moment um, so I, I try to uh, I try to have a, a rotation that works really, really well for uh, for that, and I've had success yeah. with that. And then it does, and then it takes it easy on your administrators too, because you don't want to look at them and say, "Oh, by the way, I need fifty grand," because you know how that conversation's going to go. It's not going to go very well. Right. There's a life expectancy of an instrument, and if you create an expectation of rotation and stay ahead of it, that's correct. And on top of it, I would say that unless your administrator was a band director, they don't know that. And so 
I think it's very important that we become also educators and communicators and build uh, bridge bridge builders to our administrative teams. When you do that, you you increase communication, you build trust, and on top of that, you can build the opportunity to when you want to ask for something, you have a greater chance to doing that because for for, for receiving that because you have done the legwork to get that yes. So let's say you've done the homework and you've got the yes. How do you how do you go about building a budget that works and communicating that to an administrator and kind of tee it up? I was lucky enough when I came to Owatonna to have um, a budget that could repair the instruments that I had. Um, I know that um, other districts are are not as fortunate. Their their budgets for an entire band program could be fifteen hundred dollars for the entire year. Um, that can only clean so many things, and so you're left with. Um, if I could go in this direction, you're you're left with the opportunity that that exceeds the school, and so you have to you have to examine your community find your resources, do your legwork, and you start realizing that there are funding sources that exist in your community that exceed the school. Um, if you can clean your instruments but don't have any capital outlay, for those of you that don't know what capital outlay is, that is the amount that every principal is given, and then they will say, "You, I have this much for science, this much for PE, this much for music, and it's it's up to the principal to make the decision. Once you have your capital outlay laid out, you have your supply budget, which basically was for some schools, the 1500 bucks that I had mentioned before. On top of that, there's a bunch of funding resources that sometimes are not tapped because we are so busy doing our jobs. Those can be corporate donations. Um, we are lucky enough in Owatonna to be the the world headquarters of the Wenger Corporation and Federated Insurance. And those two organizations have the ability to do some really nice funding for multiple programs in our school system, not just music. Um, I, I feel like uh, some of those groups will not elicit any money to you or give you any money unless they are asked for it. And so um, I've always been, I would say this, I've never been unafraid to be a beggar. I've never been unafraid to ask. And so, because what are they going to do? They're going to, they're, they could just say no. And then you go, okay. And and then on top of it, my wife is also a band director, an elementary band director, and she has done a funding request to one of our local foundations um, and has received $2,000 every single year for the past five years. That's 10 grand. And all, all she did was they, the, the, they realized, they looked at budgets, they examined situations. She had that conversation. And now our elementary program is starting to get a bulk of instruments that's starting to come in where we're starting to really rebuild uh, our base because the, it was non-existent. And so it takes a lot of, a lot of legwork and, and um, especially asking. I think we have to be fearless to ask bring up a good point about how like you have to be willing to hear the word no because a lot of times it's the administrator's job to say no at least the first time and if you apply for a grant or go to a foundation they might say no the first time but then you got to be persistent and you have to show them how important and necessary the need is because everyone wants to have a band in their school and in their community um, but we sometimes don't do a good job of of showing um, administrators or community members 
um, that our instruments are old or falling apart. It's easy to see that the lab equipment uh, is outdated. It's easy to see that a textbook has a copyright date that's 30 years out of date. It's not as easy to see that that tenor sax or that French horn needs to be replaced. That's correct. And on top of it, most people think, you know, the most visual thing that some band programs have is their marching band. And so you're going outside and you're putting your marching band either in the stadium or out on the street. And those instruments are becoming obliterated over time. And, and they are, they are weathered, they've hit rain, they've hit all that stuff. And I think that, that we need to be advocates for that because I don't think anybody knows what happens to an instrument if it gets stuck in the rain. Believe it or not, I think people, the outside person, we know, as band directors, we know what happens. But I think we need to also uh, educate those when it comes to uh, what happens to an instrument after an, after 10 or 12 marching seasons. But I wanted to say one more thing. I've noticed that that sometimes our biggest supporters are our military organizations and our communities. And sometimes they can be... Um, a tremendous funding resource um, that sometimes gets forgotten. And I think that, that they expect to see us like on Memorial Day or maybe the 4th of July in your community and, and these patriotic things. But we also have to remember that they are huge supporters. And they, I think our, our military groups that we have um, think that our band kind of walks on water. And, and, and because they... They do that and they'll say, well, is there anything that you need? Well, is, there then, any, is, there, is there anything that you need? And I'm like, yes, there yes. is. And would you, the, and, and would you local, be interested in this? Yeah, your local American Legion and VFW Post are um, charitable service organizations. They want to give back to the community. Um, but yeah, in return, yeah, like obviously, you know, that's why we're, we're at Memorial Day and... Um, Fourth of July and all of those uh, important patriotic celebrations, but um, developing that relationship with the community is is super important. That's um, something you do really really well. Well, thank you. Well, you mentioned I visibility. Keep your program visible, and those are all ways to do that. And we need to stay visible. I think, like especially now, because um, I hope I don't go too off topic on this, but I mean, especially now when we're we're seeing and I have nothing against them, but when we see like these virtual bands and things like that that exist, I mean that that isn't a rehearsal and that isn't stuff and and we have to we have to make sure that we maintain that our visible education is in the room with a teacher in front of it. And I think that's 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 a crucial thing that I think could could be a, an addendum to this conversation. Just make sure that, that it takes a teacher like Michelle, a human being, to make this happen. She she doesn't do it virtually. She does the legwork to make Band for All become a reality. That's no accident. You cannot do that through Zoom. Well, Peter, as you continue to develop your program, is there anything you can add to this conversation? Um, yeah. I, I just had a conversation with um, a music merchant, um, uh, somebody that uh, I trust in the in the land of uh, somebody that deals instruments, and I just wanted to share kind of what I was finding. Um, he mentioned that he has rented more French horns and baritones now, more than ever. 
and where where we're starting to see those those instruments that were typically in the land and not necessarily because of covid per se but i'm just starting to see he is saying that he's seeing more instruments of the baritone and french horn family that are being uh, rented by students now i also had a question a conversation with him i said what would happen if a possible scenario what what would happen if a school said i want to sign a contract and i want to like do a rental like a rent to own style program because we're all going to be scrounging for instruments like that's that could be a very re deep reality for all of us where if instrument sharing goes out the window and we have to say well, it's not just a mouthpiece anymore. It's the actual tactile touching of that instrument that we have to make sure is individualized. Um, this person told me that, uh, who I trust, said, um, you know, make sure that you contact your dealer individually, um, no matter what your community size. Um, I think uh, these people want your... They want your business they want our business so they can stay afloat just like we want our schools to stay afloat so it's that that symbiotic relationship of of making sure that that we are communicators to them and they in turn have communicator communications to large corporate things now large corporations your your big names your big corporations do do instrument leasing and they will however you will pay for that and I do not know what that number is at this point, but that is a, a conversation to have with your dealer. Now, would, would a major corporation do leasing for my school? I believe the answer is yes. To the best of my knowledge, I could say it's yes. And if that were to happen, what that would look like, that's very individual for for you to to have that conversation with your dealer about. But I think that's a that's a reality that, that we could examine as we because we don't need to rework our entire programs. What we're talking about is maybe I need three of that and maybe two of that and something so I can facilitate that. We're not talking about I need to spend a very large amount of money and do a complete overhaul of my program. I, th I think what we're saying is, you know, what are the options so we can fill those gaps so everybody can have the opportunity to, ha to perform with us on an individual instrument. So that was, that's a really good point. This is, I would to toss this back over to Michelle real quick, because like, let's say one of the high schools in our district comes to you and says, um, Hey, we can't share French horns anymore this fall. Um, what does your inventory look like? I would assume it's a lot of like flutes, clarinets, trumpets, the, mo the instruments that are not quite as expensive. You probably don't get a lot of donations of oboes or con 8d double horns but do you have inventory of every instrument if a school came to you and said hey i know we've never borrowed a tuba from you before but now i have a kid who needs a tuba can you talk a little bit more about the instrumentation that's within your program um we occasionally have some baritones and french horns donated we've never had a tuba we do get xylophones so that's the xylophones are definitely something that gets checked out to older kids um the upper line open hole flutes. We do have some oboes. Oboe has become become an instrument that we don't um, provide from the district anymore. Students rent those now. We started that program a few years ago. Our oboes were getting older and as you know those some of those woodwinds just I sometimes I think you can look at a bass clarinet and it needs repair. 
So some of those eventually hit their life expectancy and you have to do something about it. Um, so I don't, usually if I get French horns and baritones, I donate them back to that district instrument um, inventory is mainly made up of tenor saxes, French horns, baritones, tubas, bass clarinets, berry saxes once students get older. And those are usually owned by that specific school. So the middle schools and high schools have their own inventory that stays with them. At the elementary level, we have 19 elementaries in our district and we all share amongst each other. But our students only use that instrument for one year and then it comes back to us. We clean it, check it out to a new student. Okay, cool. That's That, that really is helpful in just kind of understanding the logistics, especially in, in such a large district, but you could scale this model to any size school or school district. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because we've been looking at this too. I'm sure everyone is right now trying to figure out how to have enough instruments for everyone. Um, and certainly when it gets to the middle school and high school level, it gets a lot harder. You have a lot more students sharing some of the same instruments where at the elementary level, we're generally able to provide them one at home and one at school. And if they carry, they're carrying a French horn or a baritone, and we see them once a week so we can schedule it on the same day as rehearsal. So they're not lugging that French horn back and forth every single day. Michelle, I also have a follow-up question. Are any of the donated instruments brand new instruments? Sometimes. Most of the time they're used, but there have definitely been some that have come in that are only a year or two years old. Um, and there have been some community donations um, from music stores, and those are new. And I've occasionally gotten some pricing from vendors, um, instrument companies who have given me a low bid price. And so I've been able to purchase some instruments that way for a low cost. So getting a student line clarinet for $325 instead of $900 to $1,000. So that's been significant. That's helpful. Thank you. Well, and there, you just mentioned like school bid pricing. Um, you know, this is one of those reminders that... Um, like Pete was saying, so many of our local retailers want to help out and they also want to be in the business of working with directors. So like solicit school bid prices from multiple vendors, uh, you know, talk to the local music stores here in Minnesota and find out what they can do for you. Because a lot of times that school bid price that they give you is significantly below even the lowest advertised price on the internet. And you're, you're doing two really good things. You're not only supporting a local business, but you're actually getting going to get more bang for your buck because you're going to get the instruments for cheaper. And then you've got um, someone local who's going to put a lot of care into maintaining and repairing that instrument because it came from them in the first place. Yeah, the local stores, they do a great job for us, certainly. And they often have things that are slightly used that they no longer have as part of their rental program. And so they'll offer those instruments at pretty low prices and they're still great instruments and they work great for kids. So definitely take advantage of that. Michelle or, or Peter, what's the intersection of your instrument repair person, whoever does that work, and working with you with your inventory and making recommendations? Is there a relationship there that we need to talk about? I definitely have a relationship with several places. We have three different stores that call in our district every week. And so that's helpful as far as being able to get things back in a timely manner. And then there's a couple of repair companies that only do repair as well. 
that I work with. And so a combination of, of all of those people, everyone has different skill sets and different things that work well for them. So I think taking advantage of all of your local businesses is helpful. I also have a repair person that calls on our, uh, our music department uh, every week. Um, and I can say that he's very, very good at doing approximations as well as like how the biggest question that sometimes we have as directors is how old is this horn and how much is it worth? Because then if we're going to do the, that, that am I going to donate it? Am I going to sell it and have somebody else use it? Um, and I, I think that that's really a crucial element that I think we need to have. And uh, our, our repair person who just exclusively does repair is very, very good at it. That's definitely true, Pete. Um, they do a great job of helping me only fix what needs to be fixed so I can get that instrument to last as long as possible. Certainly we can't always afford to do an overhaul and replace every pad, but they do a good job of telling me when the money is worth it and when it's not, when it's time to call it quits on that instrument. Michelle, could I ask you a question? I was just wondering what, what qualifies a student for music for all? Um, is it is it is it like um, just uh, my free and reduced lunch count? Is it um, I really want to play? What what is, what is involved if somebody would like to be a part of your program? Well, for band for all, they need to qualify for free or reduced lunch, and they self-identify that. So I can't necessarily check any sort of list, um, but our program is available to free or reduced lunch students. I think, uh, I mean, do either of you have any final thoughts or anything that we didn't cover that you wanted to talk about or you feel good about this? I guess I, w I would say we have to be vigilant right now. I think that would be one thing I would say. I think we need to be vigilant and not in a negative way. Vigilant means be be consistent and be flexible. I think we have to be consistent with our administrators in the area of communication and then carry that consistency of communication to our vendors and use that data to communicate with our administrators. I think it, I think it's our job to connect the dots and and we become that liaison between the market, between instruments, between children and and then to administrators and, and providing them with essential information. I think the more we educate, the more opportunities we have to have opportunities. So I think that building that trust and building those relationships, I think, are absolutely essential to having a successful music program. It's absolutely true. We have to help connect those dots, Pete, to help people to understand that what we're doing here is, is, is very complicated. And sometimes we actually we do such a good job of making it look easy. You know, we put on these concerts and everything is polished and everything works and everything is shiny. And, um, oh, the band program is doing great. Um, Just so, add water. Right. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> it doesn't mean that we should be complaining. I like the fact that you said we, we have a job to, like, keep people informed, keep our administrators informed about where we're at and what our needs are, keep the community informed about what the needs of the band are. Because I, I've taught in several different school districts and everyone wants to help the band. Sometimes they just don't know how. Very good point. Well, this has been a really good conversation, I think, and uh, a lot of good information, very helpful. I want to thank you, Michelle and Peter, for joining us today. And, thank you. Uh, we end Thanks our for episodes. Yeah, we end our episodes with band in Minnesota. So Brad's going to 
give it a prelude and then you're going to postlude it with band in Minnesota. Um, let's, let's start with Peter. Peter will do it solo. Okay. This has been another episode of Band in Minnesota. Okay, Michelle's good. turn. Yeah, that was good. Let's see how Michelle does. This has been another episode of Band in Minnesota.